This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. A good November 1st to you. It's Tuesday, the day after Halloween. It's Jesperson in with Hicks on this uh, edition of Real Talk coming up in just a few moments. Kristen Rayworth, a good friend of the show, will be joining us. Uh, It's Family Violence Prevention Month in the province of Alberta. Kristen is a survivor and an advocate. A recent piece of hers in the line uh, takes aim at the Saskatchewan government's invitation of convicted killer Colin Thatcher to its legislature. Now, Premier Brad Wall has since uh, Brad Wall, geez, Premier Scott Moe has uh, has since addressed this and and said that uh, essentially it was a an error in judgment, something that the government would like a do over on. Uh, it wasn't Premier Moe's invitation, but of course he's the face of this government. He's the one that people want to talk to when this happens, something like this. Uh, but this was something uh, a curious. Uh, development where people were wondering, uh, quite frankly and candidly, what the hell was anybody thinking inviting? You know, people will say, well, yeah, but hang on a second. You know, Colin Thatcher, you know, he's a he's a former MLA, right? His his dad is the former premier of Saskatchewan. He should be the MLA who invited him, as a matter of fact, said if anyone uh, belongs in the legislature, it's Colin Thatcher, uh, leaving many people wondering what on earth is going on there and the type of message that this government was sending. Well, Kristen has a piece in the line, and we're going to get into that when she joins us in just a few minutes. Uh, we're also going to talk some some Alberta provincial politics, uh, well, Alberta and Manitoba, technically. Uh, Manitoba's premier, Heather Stevenson, says that she's open to discussions with the province of Alberta. You know, this idea about shipping oil through Churchill, right? A new pipeline through Churchill, Manitoba. You, you, if you've been hearing people talk about different ideas to circumvent some of the pipeline challenges, uh, including some of the, uh, you know, the, the delicate negotiations, the consultations that would have to happen uh, running pipelines through uh, sensitive ecological zones, as well as meaningful uh, territory for First Nations across the country, in particular along Canada's West Coast. And then, of course, uh, compiled with the hesitance that Quebec has had for many years, saying that there's not going to be a pipeline running through Quebec no matter what, people have said, well, what about Churchill? What about Churchill, Manitoba? And Alberta's Premier Daniel Smith has brought this up again, has has sort of restarted or rekindled conversation around that. Well, Manitoba's Premier says that her government has higher priorities. She says that her government's got to focus on issues like affordability and, and health care and homelessness over considering shipping oil through Churchill. Some thought that Manitoba may be a sympathetic province to this, that this may be something that that may come across as an economic opportunity for Manitoba, but there appears to be, from that province's relatively new premier, uh, zero appetite for this type of thing. And so what does that do to the political dynamic between Alberta and Manitoba? What does that do for further pipeline conversations in Canada? You can always let us know what you think to talk at ryanjesperson.com. And a little bit later on in the show, I'm very much looking forward to this. John, we featured his pops yesterday, Bunsen and Burner. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Beaker. Oh, God, I'm screwing it up now. But th- this is uh, Bunsen and Beaker are the two dogs. Uh, Bunsen is a burner, a Bernie's mountain dog. These are the these are like the famous science dogs that have 168 
thousand followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a huge Instagram presence as well, and and their human pal Jason Zakowski is going to join us. He's an award winning science teacher. Uh, he teaches science basically. He communicates it through the lens of his two dogs. He does the Twitter Spaces. He's the host of the Science Podcast. He's passionate, to say the very least, about science education and critical thinking. And Jason's going to join us to talk about what what he deems to be communication failures through COVID-19, through the pandemic. He's got an interesting take on that. I'm looking forward to it. Plus, it's Tuesday, which means we'll focus on innovation, the leading edge presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. This is a medical development that's absolutely blew my mind. Uh, It's helping people with a condition called dysphagia, and uh, it's an award-winning development that we figured belonged in this weekly spotlight on innovation, so that's coming up as well. We also invite you, of course, to send us emails anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com, and I've got a message here from JC that I wanted to get into. JC, writing in from Calgary, he was paying attention yesterday when Charles Adler joined us, you know, Chuck joins us every Monday, right? To kick off our week, to give us his brand of Canadian common sense. And I asked Charles if he would ever consider paying to keep his verified status on Twitter, his blue check mark status on Twitter. Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, says that he's considering the idea. Well, he says Twitter will implement a $20 a month fee for people to keep their verified accounts. You remember yesterday we showed uh, author Stephen King says there's no way in hell he's paying that. Uh, Stephen King essentially says he's out of here. Uh, it says he said, I'm out like Enron if this happens. Did you see Elon Musk followed up, by the way? Uh, he followed up no, with Stephen see. King. He said, he says, well, what do you think about eight bucks a month? He says, maybe eight bucks a month. He says, we got to find a way to pay our bills somehow. Twitter cannot rely solely on advertisers. Uh, Musk is also saying that he thinks that a user fee, at least with with some users, maybe the verified users, is the only way to combat the bots and trolls. That's what Elon Musk has said. Well, JC was listening to our interview with Adler, and he says in response to Mr. Adler's take on, on the cost of Twitter verification, there's an important reason for its necessity. He says, I believe the concept of Twitter as an online town hall of thoughts and ideas while honoring the human right of free speech is, is very worthwhile. Over time, though, the platform has become almost unusable and the trend of misinformation is dangerous. Chuck talked about that yesterday. JC says the prevalence of bots and scams and phishing attacks and extreme opinions, extremist activity has ruined much of the user experience. Bad actors are currently able to spin up Python scripts which can unleash thousands of bot accounts into the platform at no marginal cost uh, and free from any punishment. There needs to be a financial deterrent in place, which would clean up much of this activity. This would cripple the incentive if Twitter suddenly associated a cost with each of these accounts. And maybe, just maybe, after this policy is implemented, many of the scams will disappear And we'll find out that these extremist takes on the left and the right turn back into the fringe outliers that they always were. JC says, food for thought. So you can let us know what you think about that. I love when real talkers take the time not not just to, to, to listen to the show or not just to watch us on YouTube, but also to let us know what you think about what you hear. And your feedback obviously continues to inform our editorial direction as we continue to cover these stories that matter. Kristen Rayworth coming up in just a moment. I wanted to let you know quickly that you now have just two days left to get your hands on your tickets for a life-changing win. Of course, we're talking about the 
Covenant Foundation Lottery and that two-plus million-dollar dream home we've been telling you about. We've been touring you through this home for the last couple of months, but I want to remind you that there's a lot more going on with this Covenant Foundation Lottery as well, like the vehicles they're giving away, 30 years of dream cars people have been winning in support of the Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals. This year, that includes the Beamer X3, the 330i X-Drive sedan, or you can take the cash. There's a couple beautiful Alfa Romeos there, or the 60 grand cash. Pick a Lexus or cash. You get how it goes. Plus, of course, you can get in on the 50-50. Some great trips up for grabs. The healthcare system oftentimes relies on lotteries like this to continue to deliver innovative care, and it's no different at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. Today's a great day to get your tickets. You know, it's also a great day for Dairy Queen. When's the last time you showed up at a party with a Dairy Queen cake? You know what happens. It steals the show. You can bring home an instant party with the wildly popular Blizzard cakes. You can order them custom from our friends at the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Don't forget them. Let them know that Real Talk sent you when you visit the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. At Apex Automation, they're building a team atmosphere that, of course, everybody's talking about across Canada. I mean, that's why more and more professional engineers are looking to Kubi to give people back their time. They've placed family and they've placed their team atmosphere at the top of their list. They're building their corporate culture around it. That also informs where they're opening their field offices across Canada, down into the southern United States. They want to be closer to their clients. And they want their team members to be home with their families at night whenever possible. Who thought about this when people are like nose to the grind, people are busting their butts? Apex Automation realizes that this holistic approach is going to continue to draw the best talents in the country. If this has intrigued you as an engineer, you can check out apexautomation.ca today. Could be the first step toward the best career move you ever make. And our friends at Friesen Brothers have a lot going on, of course, but today is a big deal because it is the first day of the month. That's right. It's November 1st, and that means 15% off at Friesen Brothers, 16 locations across the province of Alberta, 16 locations in Alberta at Friesen Brothers, 15% off grocery purchases of $75 or more. You can check out all the details at Friesen.com. Well, November 1st marks the uh, kickoff to Family Violence Prevention Month in the province of Alberta. And this is something that Kristen Rayworth has been advocating for uh, for many years, including a recent piece that she wrote at theline.substack.com, desperate for consistent moral leadership on domestic abuse. She asserts many partisans continue to struggle with it, conservative and progressive alike, and until they change, nothing will change for vulnerable women. Uh, Kristen, joining us live on this Tuesday morning. It's nice to see you. Thanks for making time for us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is uh, this is obviously a month where a lot of people are going to be focusing on systemic issues. A lot of people are going to be focusing on big picture issues. And for a lot of other people, this is intensely personal. Uh, where's your head at on November 1st as we begin to observe this month? Well, I think, I mean, it, first of all, it's really important to recognize that since the pandemic it has become more and more like the rate of domestic violence has increased ex exponentially since uh, the pandemic. And even before the pandemic, uh, between 2014 and 2019, 
497 people were victims of intimate partner homicide. 400 of those were women. In Canada, every two and a half days, one woman or girl dies as a result of domestic violence. So I think it's very important to recognize that this is a broad issue and that in Alberta is actually number three in terms of domestic violence rates among the provinces. This is a serious issue in the province of Alberta and one that um, does not get spoken about enough. Uh, when I when I opened the show today, just mentioning you were going to be joining us, I, I touched on an item in the news where, t- to be honest, these days it just, and I'm not making light of it, but I, I look at some headlines these days and I, I just double check to see if it's the Beaverton or the Onion or if it's some sort of like <laughs> biting political satire. Colin Thatcher invited uh, to Saskatchewan's legislature. I'm going, come on, there's no way this is actually serious. Well, it turns out that it is. Uh, the former MLA that was that was convicted of, of shooting and beating and killing his wife, uh, his ex-wife, Joanne Wilson, uh, invited back, uh, said the MLA that invited Colin Thatcher back into legislature, the octogenarian. He says, well, if anybody should feel welcome in the Saskatchewan legislature, it's Colin Thatcher. Now, obviously, Premier Mo has walked this one back. What did you think was the very first thing you thought when you saw that story? Well, I mean, I actually also thought at first it must be parody because yeah. the uh, subject of the throne speech was tough on crime. So that made the whole thing even more ridiculous. Uh, but it, it, the MLA who invited him actually used to be Colin Thatcher's EA because Colin Thatcher was a former Saskatchewan MLA. And his father was actually premier of Saskatchewan. So one of the issues that has always existed around Colin Thatcher is the power that he has and the privilege that he has. And even when he was in jail, uh, he got to keep his horses and hang out with his horses. Like he was basically in a white collar jail for having killed his wife in an incredibly brutal manner after years of domestic abuse. And so what went through my head is that this just, again, minimizes those experiences and Saskatchewan having just gone through a mass shooting that resulted initially from a gentleman who beat his wife and was a violent abuser and the police knew that and did not address it. Saskatchewan has a very big problem with domestic violence and I don't know what it says to those survivors to watch that man be allowed into their legislature and it taking four days for Scott Moe to actually say anything and to apologize and to strip the MLA of his uh, legislative responsibilities. Yeah, this is Lyle Stewart who lost his position as, as legislative secretary. You, you talk, let, let's get into your piece in the line because you talk about sort of a desperation for, for moral leadership here. And a lot of people are going to be saying, okay, through, through domestic violence prevention month, it'll mean different things to different people. Different people will, will, yeah. will feel a different onus or a different drive. Some, some may make a donation to a support service. Some may reach out to a survivor. Some, some may continue to fight to survive quite yeah. frankly. Um, let's talk about what moral leadership looks like. It means consistency. And that is something that, I think on a political level, people struggle with and on a personal level, people struggle with, you know, when it comes to family violence or abuse within a dating relationship, if it's your friend, sometimes you are not willing to acknowledge it, to recognize it or to call it out. And it's in those personal relationships where we have the most responsibility and the most control over our ability to help prevent sexual or domestic violence is in calling it out when we see it in our own social circles. And that is just exemplified within the political structures where they will call out the other side all of the time, but yet not call out their own side. And this happens quite frequently. And you see it even 
in the Alberta government right now, where Devin Dreeshin has been allowed back into cabinet after never apologizing for the harassment and for the issues that resulted in him initially being kicked out of cabinet. And again, if the NDP did that, you would see the UCP lose their minds. And so there needs to be consistency in the way we address these things. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's 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 probably there are examples uh, across the political spectrum here, which would probably lead somebody to believe that there could be some form of collective action uh, to be taken on this. I think we can probably all agree, or at least I would suggest that most of us should be able to agree that agree that this is not a partisan issue. Uh, so as people discuss this, I mean, as members of the general public discuss this, if, if you were to give an assignment to the members of the general public through the course of this month or to demand accountability from political leaders or to uh, you know, attempt to impact change within the social structure uh, around us, what would that look like? I think, number one, when somebody that you know or you like or you respect uh, has done something wrong, do a gut check in the way that you're responding. And would you respond that way if it was someone that you didn't know or someone you didn't like? Hmm. And if your response would be to call it out and would be to try and address the behavior, if it was someone you didn't like or someone you didn't know, then that should also be your response when it's someone within your social circle or your political circle or, or what have you. And you see that I think that that is one of the major bur barriers to addressing family violence and to addressing sexual violence is that we don't want to call out our own, regardless of where we're sitting on that. And I think that's one of the biggest things to do. And it doesn't always necessarily have to mean, you know, canceling them on social media or what have you. It means having a conversation with someone. When I look even back at my own experiences, you know, I was in a violent relationship for uh, many years and we would get into fights, like very aggressive fights in front of other people. And some of our friends would literally say nothing and walk away because they didn't want to get involved. And you should get involved. If you are witnessing something that doesn't feel right or look right, you need to get involved. And that can mean either trying to get involved in the incident in that moment or reaching out to the person afterwards and trying to approach that situation from a place of love, whether it's with the, the person who's experiencing the violence or the person who's doing it. But if you stay silent, that's complicity. And that will also make the person experiencing the violence feel that uh, it's justified. Hmm. Um, you, uh, you, you were pretty critical of, of the Alberta NDP for in inviting Manitoba's uh, NDP mm -hmm. leader, Wab Canoe to their recent convention. You write about this in your piece. People can check it out at theline.substack.com. You say Canoe, who's admitted to violent acts through his youth, accused by a former romantic partner of throwing her across the room, inflicting injury after a domestic argument. He's denied these allegations. You say when the story of his accuser came out leaked against her will, when Canoe was running for the NDP leadership, she was harassed by his followers, had to go into hiding. How very progressive of everyone. You then go on to write about how you're a conservative and you went on a national podcast calling out a UCP cabinet minister for harassment. You write that there were, I know you write that <laughs> you write that there were consequences to you, including professional ones, but that you don't regret it for a moment. Can we talk about the politics of this? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I made that decision and I made that decision, having spoken to the person involved in the case uh, to come on your show and have that conversation um, about uh, Devin Dreeshin. I knew that it was going to potentially impact me. I didn't realize how much it would impact me. Um, you know, without going into excessive detail, there's a reason I no longer work for the government of Alberta. And I 
but I feel like it's the right thing to do. I mean, I am, I'm identified as a conservative and I've been identified as a conservative for a long time. And, you know, while I don't currently support the current iteration of the UCP, like I have been a conservative for most of my life. And I think that that made me coming on your show and having that conversation even more important because I wasn't coming at it from a partisan perspective of the UCP are evil or conservatives are evil. I was coming at it from a perspective of someone saying this party came into power saying that they were going to be better and do better, especially on these kind of issues. And they were just as bad as any other party. And what they have now done subsequent to Kenny leaving is they still have not released the report, the Pytel report into the harassment that was experienced by staff in the legislature. They still have not settled the case uh, with uh, the person who came forward about the harassment claims. And instead, they put Devin back in cabinet. And so it just shows that they have not taken this issue seriously and they are not seriously looking at addressing it whatsoever. Uh, you know, you've, you've worked as a political staffer. Uh, you know, you've, you've obviously been involved in politics for a long time. You're the interim chair of Parity Yeg right now, which is uh, a pretty cool gig, by the way. Let me ask you, by the way, about that. The, the interim chair. Uh, is, is this something are you, you you're, you're sort of like holding the spot until somebody's there? Or are you getting a feel for it or what, what? What's your mandate? Do you perceive it over this next little bit? So when I initially joined, um, uh, Rhiannon Doyle was our uh, our chair and she has now gone on to uh, win the NDP nomination. Yeah. And she's running in Southwest, I believe. Um, I, I think yes. not. not a, is that is that Madhu's writing? No, no, it's uh, oh, okay. Thomas from writing. Oh, yeah, so I think got it's a it. Got it. And so I took on the role of, and sort of we'll see how that kind of goes because I've only been in the role for a little bit. Um, and we're just trying to sort of figure out what 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 our sort of mandate looks like. And this goes back to some of the conversations that you had uh, with Sarah, uh, Elder Chamarama, like I think it was two weeks ago, yeah. about the role of uh, supporting women in politics. And I very much believe that it's a nonpartisan role and that you provide women with, with tools and with access to services that they don't necessarily get uh, when they join in the political world. And when they start running, it can be very difficult and very difficult to know how to fundraise, very difficult to know even just how to ask for money can be a very difficult thing for female candidates. And so it's just providing an equal playing field for all, for women of all political backgrounds if they want to run for office. Hmm. And that's our main goal, really. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a great uh, it's a great initiative, and of course, more people should get involved with it. With the the conversation around women in politics, and and we're about to uh, today is the first of the month, right? So we're about to award an email of the month as well today. Um, I guess I can do like the soft award now and then make it official <laughs> later. But but the winning email this month was one that really got us thinking about getting women elected, and uh, and our winning email author this month, Jillian, basically said, I don't want more women in politics she said i want more feminists in politics and she develops the idea and it was a really good one um i don't know if uh and i'm trying to look at the at the date she wrote it october 13th and figure out so i guess the cabinet announcement danielle smith's cabinet announcement i don't think would have been made yet but but uh it's it, she's been criticized alberta's new premier uh for fielding a cabinet or appointing a cabinet 29 ministers if i remember correctly off the top of my head four of them are women um, and she was criticized for that. And Alberta's premier basically said, if I can paraphrase, she said, well, I'm a woman, first of all. And she says, we've had women in key roles, strong women. And she says, so if people are going to be critical, they should, they should sort of like look at the, you know, look at how it's all made up, look at the composition. Um, 
you as the as the interim chair of Parity Yeg as an involved, uh, you know, uh, a politico as, as somebody who gives a rip. Um, what do you make of that assessment? What do you make of the cabinet in Alberta? Well, first off, the last person to make the argument that because she was a woman, it was fine that her cabinet didn't contain a lot of women was Alison Redford. And that didn't really go particularly well for her. Uh, so just that as an aside, um, I think that it's a really unfortunate. We make women make up 50 percent of the population. I believe very strongly in cabinet parity. And, you know, I think that it's important to to recognize that in within your cabinet and to have your cabinet be reflective of the diverse population that you're serving. Um, the other point I will make is that there are very few people of color in the cabinet as well. Um, whereas under Kenny, there was a concerted effort to make sure that it was representative. Um, you know, ironically, I think people, some people are probably missing Kenny at the moment, uh, given the last couple of weeks. Uh, but I think that that's a big issue as well. You need to have, you need to be reflective of the population that you're serving and you haven't seen that there to address just the, the email of the month around, you want, don't want more women, you want more feminists. I understand that and completely uh, get where a lot of the people and pushback has come from. You know, not every female candidate is someone I would vote for. Not every female candidate is someone who reflects my values and the things that matter to me. But what fundamentally is the issue is trying to provide women with access to the same kind of power and sources of power that men have had for decades. When you enter into politics, men already have that step up. And so it's trying to give them that level playing field. And I feel that the premier with her cabinet and then also with the demotion of status of women to basically a footnote, she has shown that that is not an issue that will be important to her with her comments on childcare. She's shown that women's issues are not something that are important to her and not going to be a focus area for her government. Hmm. How much, how much, I mean, you're talking about childcare. I'm curious to see what this, the, Pierre Polyev seems to co- sort of have like f- taken a b- bit of a back seat for the last little while. It's, I don't know. I I mean, he's around, but has not been as prominent as he was uh, for as he was seeking the conservative leadership, obviously. But a lot of people are wanting to see what's Pierre Polyev's alternative going to look like. I mean, it feels like we're an eternity away from a federal election. They got lots of time to develop it and figure it out. But but what's the conservative child care plan going to look like or what's the alternative going to look like if they pull support for what the liberals have rolled out with that $10 a day plan? Uh, what are your early impressions of the federal dynamic on this and how much of an issue do you think that's going to be once it comes time to start lobbying or campaigning for Canadians votes federally? Well, I tweeted about this the other day in reference to Danielle Smith, and she still hasn't clarified. Like, she put out a tweet saying she wasn't going to cancel the deal, but then she proceeded to go into how she's going to renegotiate it to support private operators. So that so she wasn't very clear on what that would end up looking like for us. Polly has said he would cancel it um, in in space of like the conservative favorite thing in the world, which is a, cr- a tax credit. Tax credits don't mean shit when you can't afford it in the first place. That has always been very frustrating for me that that's been a focus area for the conservatives. Um, however, it's one thing to propose a child tax credit before parents have seen the impact of, of uh, this daycare program. I mean, I know people on all sides of the spectrum who have said to me, I, I cannot support getting rid of this program. It's, it's, you know, it's cut my daycare costs by $800, $1,000 a month. How are you going to tell those parents, oh, don't worry, you know, yeah, you might have to pay a thousand dollars a month in, you know, record inflation where everything else is hugely expensive. But don't worry, you'll get a tax credit. That just won't fly. And I think if Smith does that, or if Polyev actually brings that in, which he would be stupid to do, 
Because that by that point, if it does go till 2025, that'll be three years the parents have had this benefit of this um, cut down on their daycare rates. I don't see how that could possibly be a successful way of going about things. And it it really is saying to women that they don't care about you. They don't care about your issues. They don't care about your ability to re-enter the workforce. They don't care about your ability to uh, contribute to the economy, which is also dumb given you know our current situation. We would probably like more people to contribute to the economy than less. And so it's just it's just an idiotic, absolutely idiotic, ideologically based perspective that I just do not understand how they think it's, it will be successful. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see. I understand, you know, new premier, new leadership, new perspective, you know, p- perhaps new allies, perhaps new backs to scratch. I get it. Uh, but Alberta, you'll remember, obviously I'm not necessarily telling you, Kristen, but the audience that, you know, Alberta was one of the last to sign on to that deal. Um, and Alberta had asserted, uh, did then premier Kenny did, did then minister Schultz still a minister, obviously, but minister of children's services at the time, Rebecca Schultz, who's was really promoted, uh, under Danielle Smith, the former leadership candidate Schultz herself. And, and then praised by Saskatchewan's former premier, Brad wall, who went on the record to say that he figured that, mm-hmm. that, that basically Alberta got the best deal of anybody on that national child care plan. It was something that, that, uh, that the United conservative government under Kenny with Schultz as that minister was very proud of. Uh, and felt like it was a really good deal for the province. And so I'm not sure uh, necessarily how receptive the federal government might be to tearing that up. But it's it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. It's performative is what it is. It's part of her performative approach to the federal government. Let us be, basically, she's questioning every single uh, provincial federal deal that exists. This is just one of the more high profile ones. And is of course, ones that the NDP have, have made a very big focus as well as saying she's going to cancel it or she's going to get rid of it because that is something that obviously they were hugely supportive of when then they started it with $10 day daycare back when they were in power. So I think it's, you know, the feds are probably waiting and watching to see what's going to happen because I, it'll be interesting to see how much of her rhetoric actually translates into action. I uh, love this from Erica on our live chat. She's watching on YouTube. She says, I love Rayworth. She calls it what well, she calls, says, Kristen. Uh, she says <laughs> she, <laughs> she says she calls out everybody who needs calling out. Uh, it doesn't matter where they fall on the political spectrum. And that takes guts in today's political climate. Um, I mean, the evidence is the hot water you were in last time you were here on the show, Kristen. But you stand by your words. Um, Kimberly wants to put you on the spot. I doubt you'll mind. She says Kristen says she's she identifies with conservatives, um, what are the policies she's aligned with besides the typical line of fiscal conservatism? What would you say to Kimberly? Yeah, so I mean, you know, I grew up in a party and I, you know, I grew up in a party that for me, things like the GST, I mean, obviously I wasn't, you know, really that cognizant of fiscal policy when the GST was brought in, but the G- the GST was one of the best financial decisions that was ever made. It was made under a conservative government. Um, the environmental record of people like Brian Mulroney, the human rights record of people like Brian Mulroney, the PC government was how I sort of grew up. When I, when I worked for Ed Stelmack, you know, the tenure plan to end homelessness was brought in by Ed Stelmack. Um, land use planning was brought in by Ed Stelmack. He brought in things that were deeply consequential to this province. And I was very, very proud to work for him and see the things that he did. And I think he'll be remembered much more fondly uh, than he is uh, for the incredible work that he did. So that's what I identified with. That's the kind of conservative that I identified with is bringing in sustainable environmental policies and bringing in social programming and social and focuses on social programming that were going to be 
effective. I mean, housing first, wraparound supports, that was a conservative concept and idea that was brought in by Instelmac. I do not see that version of conservatism anymore. Um, you see bits and pieces of it. I mean, I supported Scott Atchison in the leadership. Um, I was one of the 1% of folks who did. He got um, killed in that leadership. He, he did. He did. So, you know, I think that's pretty indicative of where I sit with the party that my dude why do you did think, not do why do you well. think? Why do you think he, he like, like literally 1%, why do you think he got just decimated like he did? Well, I think that if you were a progressive conservative, um, you probably thought that the smart money was on Jean Charest. So yeah. you probably threw him your vote. But I think that the party, it's not my party anymore. It's not the party that I grew up in. And it's its Pierre Polyev's party. And he sold an incredible amount of, like, con, you know, uh, memberships. And that's who showed up was the people who supported him. I mean, he, over, he's, he got more in the leadership than Harper did. Like, he is... He doubled the party's one. membership through one leadership race. Yep. He sold like, yep. I mean, way more than 300,000, but at least 300,000 memberships, which is huge. It's insane. And, you know, I think that that's it. He 100% owns the party now. So people like Scott, who are putting forward, you know, really good policy and, you know, just like a nice, affable, good dude who just wanted to do good dude things. He's not reflective of that. And I think you see that even with, um, the demotion of, of Michelle Rempel Garner, who's another person who I think is more progressive within the party. And I know that people watching this, some people will be like, she blocked me or she's this or she's that, but she has really tried to be a progressive force. I mean, she's the reason that game that the, the uh, uh, rejection of gay marriage was taken out of the conservative party. She fought hard to ensure that that wasn't going to be there anymore. So things like that. And I think when you see where she sits now on the back bench, that that's reflective again of where the party sits. And it's not reflective of my values. Okay, anymore. well, let me ask a very uh, rude and personal question. So, <laughs> so who are you going to vote for next election? Like, like if you're provincially or federally? Uh, oh, you want to go both? Okay. Well, I'm saying I mean, we're I'm talking not, about I, we're we're talking about Pierre Polyev's party, and this is Pierre Polyev's party. Um, and this is a question that, like, literally hundreds of thousands or even millions of Canadians will be considering. And that yeah. is, if if you don't feel like you have a home in a party. And this could be a bigger and should be and will be on this show, a bigger conversation. Um, if you don't feel like you have a home in the federal NDP, uh, then where are you going to go? If you don't feel like, you know, you're a, a Trudeau person, but you've always voted liberal, where are you going to go? And if you are a one of those so-called progressive conservatives and you feel like it is Pierre Polyev's, not you don't feel, it is undeniably Pierre Polyev's party, where are you going to go? Are you just not going to vote uh, or are you going to no plug your nose and vote for the conservatives or are you going to vote for an alternative like the federal liberals? So, so how are you wrapping your mind around it with, with admittedly lots of runway to go? So for me, um, it has always been, especially in the last couple of election cycles where I've just been sort of like, I don't even like, go. um, I, I vote for the person, you know, and I vote for the, for the, for the MP that I think best represents me and better best represents my writing. So the last two elections, I voted for James Cumming. I supported him. I campaigned for him. I door knocked for him. Edmonton and you know Center, him too. Yeah. Like he's a, he's a stellar individual and a wonderful, wonderful man. And I, you know, felt very strongly that he was a great representative for my area. Mm -hmm. um, this coming election, I, you know, and this is my personal experience too. Uh, Randy Bosno has been a great MP. He was very helpful to me when I had a situation with my passport. <laughs> um, he <laughs> was really responsive to me and he's been, you know, he's been like, responsive to me on other issues that I've talked to him about. 
And so, yeah, I mean, I will definitely be voting for any vote. See, that's a really interesting trend, right? For people outside. I mean, this is this is my home riding as well. So people know. So James Cumming, this is one that flip flops all the time. This is one of those ridings in Edmonton, in Edmonton Center. It's always an interesting one to watch because they've sent liberals to Ottawa. They've sent conservatives to Ottawa. And uh, yeah, Cumming, the conservative, loses to, you know, Boissonneau, the liberal. And and you found yourself voting for, for both at different points, which is which is really interesting. What about provincially? It's going to be an interesting election, right? Rachel Notley yeah. versus Danielle Smith. I'm already uh, licking my chops uh, at these debates. I think they're going to be oh, great God, debates, yeah. right? These are go- it's going mm-hmm. to be um, and and uh, you know people are saying that Notley's got a real fighting chance. Other people are saying, well, look at all this momentum from Smith, and she's got her strategy nailed down. As a matter of fact, she's spelling out her strategy. She's just telling people what her game yeah. plan is. How do you think this is going to go? This is this is more immediate. This is in the next six to seven. Seven months we expect if they stick to that date i mean i think calgary is where it's going to get decided i think i i, I think the ndp are going to have a blowout in edmonton as usual i, I don't think that um casey maddie will stay in his seat uh so i think you will see uh a big orange wave around edmonton that's not a huge shock that's kind of what happens all the time calgary will be a big uh challenge i think for both parties you've seen now smith has put a lot of calgary mlas in cabinet so despite her comments to rick bell that it was a rule focus for her she clearly understands that she needs to keep a good calgary uh base and within her cabinet so i think off the top of my head about five or six of her cabinet ministers in, in some senior roles are from calgary so I, I think that that will be where it stands. My guess right now, if I had to guess, would be that Notley would win. I think that uh, it's really going to depend, though, because a lot of the issues with Smith are based on the things that she said. She hasn't actually done anything yet. So it will really depend on what's in the throne speech uh, on the 27th of November and then what if she brings in a budget, what that budget looks like and what things like the Sovereignty Act actually look like. I yeah. think that rural Alberta will will likely go for her and then you know it'll be really up to Calgary what happens there yeah well there there's still a lot of time to go and and uh yeah I'm you're so you're on the record you think that Notley's gonna win I'm not I'm not even I haven't even stepped up on the record yet to say what I think I think it's gonna be close um I think it's gonna be close I think that you know and maybe we'll get our first minority government yeah that would be an exciting interesting I would actually love that that would be very interesting it'd be great for everybody yeah. Yeah. And plus, you'd get another election 18 months later. So everybody could get all excited about that. Who doesn't love elections? Yeah. Who doesn't love elections? Most people, I think, actually. Um, do you disagree? No, no. I mean, I think most people like don't love them to the extent they're like my Super Bowl. Like <laughs> yeah. other people have sports and I'm like, elections. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, before I go, I do want to shout out um, your friend and mine, Erica Eiffel. It is her birthday today. It is her birthday. She's one half mm-hmm. of our unofficial opposition roundtable, her and Mo Amir. Yeah, Erica's birthday. A very happy birthday to her. You can wish her a happy birthday yourself on social media at Wicked Chick with a Q. And you can read Kristen's piece, Desperate for Consistent Moral Leadership on Domestic Abuse at theline.substack.com. It's Kristen Rayworth, a great friend of this show. Before we go, by the way, I saw your Halloween tweet. You want to tell us about this cab ride last night? Oh, my God. (laughs) Your worst Yeah, so I went to my dad's house uh, for dinner last night, and I took a cab back. And I, you know, like it was a little late, and so I was like, just wasn't paying attention. I think I was probably fucking around. I'm like, oops, I was on my phone. 
And uh, why do you keep worrying about swearing? By the way, you're not on the radio. I don't, you, know. you can <laughs> say whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so and I wasn't paying attention. So I get in my cab, kind of on my phone, and I'm like, give my the cab driver my address. And then I looked up, and I was I literally like shrieked. I was like, ah! And he's like, oh, you you don't like clowns? The guy was dressed up like a clown. Like he looked like like the full like the the nose and the hair and the whole thing and the makeup. And I was just like, no, it's fine. Because getting cabs on Halloween night can sometimes be difficult. And my dad lives in the deep south and I live downtown. So I was like, I just want to go home. So, but then he was like playing, like, I think, I don't know what what radio station it was, but he was like bumping around to like Alanis Morissette and singing. And I was like, this is the most surreal experience. So, I mean, I guess him singing You Ought to Know made him slightly less scary, but I'm still, because I'm terrified of clowns. Was he, was he like kids, was he like kids birthday party clown or, or was he like creepy Hollywood horror film clown? I mean, he wasn't like it clown, but there was still clowns regardless for me. I'm sorry. Like, I know that they're like, they're they're supposed to be fun, but they're, they, they scared the shit out of me. So that was like, I spent the whole time just sitting there. Like I started, uh, I finished the, the Jeffrey Dahmer, docu-series or whatever you want to call it fiction whatever it's not fiction but you know what i mean the netflix one everybody's talking about and then and then it suggested it was like you might like and then it went to the john wayne gacy uh series (laughs) of course you know the 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 most notorious sort of killer clown going and i i think i watched the first five minutes of that and i was like what am i doing i think i've had enough serial killer content for one but yeah john wayne gacy may have ruined clowns for north america so uh, but speaking of halloween costumes one very fucked up trend uh, that shows that people didn't really take away from the Netflix special what they should have is people dressing their kids up like Jeffrey Dahmer. What? I didn't yeah, see that. That's a thing? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding. There's like multiple posts of people who dressed up their kid like little Jeffrey Dahmer. And I, I'm just like, okay. I don't think you took away the most important theme from this, which was that he was bad. Well, you know, one of the whole, one of the whole things about like real talk is we can have, and, and, and we've got our next guest. He's like in the batters. So he's he's ready to go. He's like in the bullpen. He's, he's waiting to be tapped on the shoulder here. So I won't we take this too long, but, but let's bring this full circle because we can jump back and forth between the trivial and the serious. And we want to treat this like real conversations. I mean, it, it comes back to where we started. It comes back to where we started this conversation about violence and and uh, and an innocent woman, you know, being murdered, bludgeoned and murdered by her husband. And this whole Jeffrey Ta- uh, Jeffrey Dahmer series, it's it's been fascinating to. I mean, it's of course it's an intriguing story. It's like the it's you know, I mean, I, I don't know how you stack these people up. You know, who's more evil than the other person? I don't know, but like one of one of the most callous killers one of the most evil humans i mean there's so many elements of the Dahmer story that just make it so just you know just horrific but that's why humans have this kind of almost insatiable curiosity to learn about it and to understand the bag like what was his upbringing like and how did it went what were the first signs and all that type of thing um but it was really interesting to see a lot of the people and and i don't mean to discount like for example the the surviving families the bereaved families people that whose whose young brothers or sons were killed by this guy and then their their bodies obviously i mean it was it was horrific um mm-hmm. you know saying that, that they sort of felt like this shouldn't be entertainment for people and that it shouldn't be like the top trending show on netflix and it shouldn't be like getting all these i don't know if you call them rave reviews but everybody's even when i still sign into my netflix it's like the first thing that comes up yeah. um did you have mixed feelings about i mean i understand it's it's real life it's a real thing that happened um it's far from the first miniseries or movie that's been made based on a true crime story. 
what did you think? Did you have mixed feelings about watching that or the fact that it's even out there? I mean, I, I, I did watch it, so I'll just be, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Yeah, I me totally too. Watched me it too. Came out. Um, but I, I do think that it's part of our overarching um, obsession with serial killers or killers in general. And, you know, when you talk about Colin Thatcher, going back to that, you lose the name of the woman involved, like Joanne Wilson. That was who died. That's who the focus should be yeah. in many ways. And we, we, we have that all the time. Um, there's an incredible story in CBC that came out today speaking to the wife of um, the killer and what happened in uh, Saskatchewan and her story. And, I'm, you know, I am so impressed consistently with the reporting from CBC on this story uh, because they have really focused on the experience of the community members and, and this woman in particular and telling her story. And I think that's where, you know, things like the Jeffrey Dahmer thing and other things, they lose sight of the people who should be the focus, which are the victims and the people who lost their lives and what their lives were like, because their lives matter. And unfortunately, so frequently we, we focus ourselves on the person who did the, who did the act, which is why a lot of times media now won't report the names of mass shooters and they won't report the names of people um, who have committed these crimes because they want to focus more on the people who were actually hurt. And I think that that's important. We shouldn't remember um, for example, if we're looking at, you know, uh, the van attack, we shouldn't remember the name of the person who committed that van attack in Toronto. We should remember the names of the people who, who died as a result of his misogynistic uh, incel perspective. That should be where our focus lies. And huh. we get the name so frequently, but focus on the perpetrator. And I don't think that I think that that desensitizes people to the violence. Every time you and I talk, uh, it, it goes over time, it seems, because you're an easy person to talk to and you're passionate about the things that you care about and you challenge this audience, which I really appreciate, Kristen. Um, people can follow you online, obviously, on Twitter at Kristen Rayworth. Uh, we link to your Twitter from ours, of course, um, and I really appreciate your perspective on this. It's difficult subject matter, but, but you navigate it. Um, unfortunately, based on some personal experience, but also I know because you care deeply about the people around you, people you've met and people you've not yet met. It's nice to see you again. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. That's Kristen Rayworth. And as mentioned, let's make it official. Uh, Jillian, Real Talker Jillian, is the winner of our Email of the Month uh, award uh, for the month of October. Nah, I don't want more women elected, was her email written to us on October 13th, that evening. And we, we read it shortly after that, uh, following my conversation, which came up today with Kristen, with Sarah Elder Chaminara, uh, the founder of uh, Madam Premier, the clothing line. You remember that? She said, I'm putting it up for sale. She says, I'm out of this. It's a it's a politics and a feminist fashion brand. And she just felt like she was taking shots from across the spectrum. She said, it's not worth it anymore. Uh, and, and Jillian wrote in about that. And she said, you know, more people of color in politics is nearly always beneficial to racialized communities. More LGBTQ2S plus people in politics nearly always serves as a great voice for those marginalized groups. But more women in politics does not automatically bring benefits to women as a whole. The patriarchy greatly rewards women who work against feminism. And for some women, the rewards are too great to pass up. It was an amazing email. It got us all thinking. Uh, that was one of the ones where as soon as we read it, we thought, yeah, that might be the winner this month. And so Jillian, we'll get in touch with you. We're going to send you one of our Real Talk official studio issue mugs. Um, and uh, we'll ship that to you, of course, free of charge. And, and we're already looking for our email of the month of November. You can send us your thoughts anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We're going to be talking science in just a moment with a very passionate science communicator. I'm looking forward to connecting with Jason Zakowski again. These conversations happen because we have the support of sponsors like Local Environmental, 
operating in Alberta and Saskatchewan, family-owned. You know, a lot of people say it's just garbage, but not to them. You want to find out what makes them tick? Go to localenvironmental.ca and click on Who is Local? There's a great feature video there you can check out that introduces you to their core values. It talks about their team leaders. It gives you a sense of the contribution they make in the communities they operate in in Alberta and Saskatchewan. It goes way beyond garbage and recycling. If you're a decision maker, if you're a business owner, if you're in charge of finding the best deal and managing your business's bottom line, we encourage you to check out localenvironmental.ca today. Don't forget, they present Trash Talk every Friday right here on Real Talk. If you're considering going solar next spring, today is the perfect day to check out kubienergy.ca and get your free quote. You go, well, hang on. We're not doing it till the spring. Why would I do it now? Do not delay because a lot of times, you know, you want to get the bursary or the, the, the funding figured out, right? You've got these Canada Greener Homes grants. That's just one example. $40,000 in interest-free loan up for grabs. you got 10 years to pay that one off, but you got to apply for it. And then the team at Kubi, they get their, their design architects to figure out exactly what your installation is going to look like. That can take some time. Why not have all the pieces in place for early spring so you can get those panels up on your roof? You can get your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. At Park Power, they're partnering with Kubi, by the way, to give you the best possible deal when your solar energy system's providing more than it needs. That's just one of the ways that they're looking after their customers across the province of Alberta as your friendly local utilities provider. They're in the internet, electricity, and natural gas game. You can compare rates on all three. Check out what a bundled package looks like. You save big on administrative costs. And now's a good time to get up to speed on the variable versus fixed rate before we head into those winter months where most people are going to use more utilities. For starters, the promo code 2022-REALTALK knocks $70 off your first bill. That's a great start from Park Power. And our friends at Eden Landscaping, same deal. Same deal as with Kubi. You know, the, 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 the perfect installation, it takes time, it takes prep. And that's why Mike and his team would love to hear from you through the winter months. They're going to pull your real property reports. They're going to get their design team working on bringing your outdoor space to life. Through those winter months, they're going to be able to show you different samples of, of construction materials, whether it's stone, whether it's water features, whether it's a, a new pergola that you're looking at installing, maybe that outdoor kitchen in time for next summer's Canada Day party, whatever it is, the planning starts today when you contact Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping. Our next guest is making a return to Real Talk, and he's one of our favorite all-time guests, and not just because he surrounds himself with a couple of adorable, beautiful, science-loving pops. Uh, but Jason Zakowski has figured out the formula for effective science communication. His dogs, Bunsen and Beaker, teach science with empathy, cuteness, and fun. And that's probably why they're followed by more than 165,000 accounts on Twitter. Now, their human friend, Jason Zakowski, who will speak on their behalf today, is an award-winning science teacher himself. He's the host of the Science Podcast, and he's very passionate, as you're about to see, about science education and critical thinking. Welcome back to the show. It's so good to see you. 
Hey, it's good to be back as well. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> let me ask you, this is, I want, want to get into the Halloween story time before we talk science, if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah go for I, it. I didn't want to load up your entire Twitter thread last night. I wanted to tee it up for you and let you tell the story. You, you say, I have amazing memories of Halloween, not the candy, not the <laughs> costumes, but for the memories of defending our home with my brother against vandals and hoodlums. What we did was possibly illegal as we home alone our entire property. Would you tell us the story? So that's from my personal account, not the Bunsen and Beaker. We have to separate okay, the, yeah, yeah. The, the little bit. Um, yeah. So when I was, I say, I think like 14 or 15, um, I got sick of my, my home being, you know, toilet papered and egged and people would spray paint or shed. Um, my, my dad was a teacher in a rule that rules. Uh, community. So everybody knew where we lived. Right. Um, so I just got sick of it. And I'm like, you know what? We are going to defend our property. And I conscripted my younger brother. I drew up like schematics of the entire property. And I, I kind of like we brainstormed where the vandals would be coming from. So we had this massive garden. I could get into the whole story, but I dug giant holes in the garden. Um, so like we're talking like four or five feet deep. So if people were running through the garden in the dark, they would fall into this massive hole. And then around the garden, I strategically placed sprinkler systems. So I would funnel people towards this pitfall zone. <laughs> and the first year we did that, uh, and there was way more, like I Vaselined up the sidewalk. We had super soakers from our second floor and uh, we caught a bunch of kids and they regretted the day they decided <laughs> to come try and egg and TP or spray paint our house. And then over the years, there were no more vandals, so um, it, it was successful, but perhaps a little illegal, Well, um, I think, today. Yeah, I mean, the Vaseline on the sidewalk is certainly a public safety hazard. But, oh, but it was the, on our property. Oh, it was on your property, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but definitely the two kids <laughs> ate it, and then, of course, they were like, oh, and we so were nailing them with this. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, if you read the thread, we just destroyed a couple people <laughs> yeah. who were trying to wreck our house. What did you have in the super soakers? Was it just your standard water, or was there... Well, uh... yeah, you know, it was just standard water, and we f I filled up a whole bunch of water balloons with pond scum, like, just, like, cold pond scum water. Oh, um, wow. So we're lobbing them at the kids that fell. Yeah. Anyways, it's, it was very enjoyable. Well, you, you know, you, you you better not mess with the Zikowskis. That was probably <laughs> the word on the street after that. Yeah. Did your parents... Were your parents so. aware of what was going on, or was this something um, that flew under the radar? It was kind of of like ask for uh forgiveness not permission yeah. kind of thing yeah. they're probably i'm sure they're wondering why i was digging trenches in the the garden i said i would fix it so mm. um perhaps they knew a little bit it was tilling it <laughs> uh, is the season for tilling mom and dad yeah we well it's make... hard work as frozen ground too yes yeah no kidding was that <laughs> that was kind of you, you you sort of see the future scientist or not just scientist science teacher science communicator you're you're, you're uh, you know you're uh you sort of take it to the next level with this um not just a, a curiosity about the world around you but also a real desire to share it and and your passion is is really evident you must have been like that since you were a little kid it sounds like yeah i've i always loved science science right like i wanted to be an astronaut i was infatuated with space so i was like the you know the science nerd for sure yeah and how can you not be excited about science like, yeah I know no you kidding a, you had a political guest on before me and that was enjoyable but i kept like i would just rather listen to people talk about squid or 
neutron stars or <laughs> yeah i want to hear it all and we want real talk to be the home for all of it because we yeah. recognize different <laughs> things float different people's boats um you since this is the last time we spoke i mean it was already you know your account the bunsen burner bmd account the bunsen and beaker of course your beautiful pups uh we're already known to to you know tens of thousands of people and it's been it's been a really big deal the audience continues to grow uh your science podcast uh paw podcast uh continues to of course pick up subscribers and a lot of people are, are buzzing about that for people that didn't see our show yesterday maybe we'll show off uh bunsen and beaker in in halloween costumes i want to be it, it becomes very evident very quickly why people fall in love with these two i wanted to ask you because you sent us four different photos including this one we're looking at right now with the space explorers oh i were, love that photo were these costumes through the years or did you dress up your pups in like four different costumes for one halloween no, they're, they're costumes throughout the, the year. The Astro Pups are the dog astronaut costumes. Um, they were the ones this year. Uh, so <laughs> uh, one of the things that I, I, we try to make clear is that Bunsen and Beaker are trained to wear costumes, especially their lab coats and their safety glasses. But they, like, we're only putting them in costumes for pictures. Like, um, it's not, they don't live in a spacesuit the entire day. Uh, so we take a couple quick pictures. They get a little treat. They're super happy to pose, and then they go back to being family dogs. Well, they're a, they're really an incredible and and again, like I, our dogs are our family members and everything. So when I describe them right now as a tool, I mean no disrespect. They're they're sentient oh, yeah. and living beings and family members, uh, but they they seem to make um, the, the the science lesson so much more interesting and accessible. There's something about what you've tapped into that you you've, you've sort of like caught lightning in a bottle with these two. And I, and I want to broaden our conversation to talk about COVID communication. Cause I know that mm. I, I think that you have an assessment that's not necessarily glowing on how we've done with science communication through COVID, but what is it about these dogs? What are your, what are, what are the literally the thousands of people that have fallen in love with these two that follow the accounts that watch the videos that download the podcast that take part in the Twitter space conversations that you have? What do they tell you? What is it about these two dogs? It's, it's the hook. Um, any kind of good teaching, Ryan, requires something called an anticipatory set, right? Like I'm, I'm an educator. I went through education, education. And the big thing is you have to hook and engage your audience. And people love dogs. And if you don't, if somebody doesn't love a dog, do you really want to be friends with them anyways? Just kidding. But <laughs> not really, though. Um, yeah, but that's the hook, right? A lot of people have, not a lot of people, thousands of people have mentioned or commented that they followed us first for the cute photos and then they fell in love with science. Mm. And that is, man, does that just make my heart feel so good that these adorable creatures that we love, like we love Bunsen and Beaker so much, that the world loves them. And through that kindness, we are teaching real science to thousands of people every week. Mill millions of impressions a month. Yeah, millions like and millions. It's it boggles my mind. I can't believe it. Yeah, and I don't want to just like sort of breeze past what you just said. Millions of impressions a month, which is awesome. It's it's certainly one of Canada's most followed 
science communication platforms or science communication accounts. Do you is that something that you keep an eye on? Like, are you number one? Is there a way uh, when, you know when we routinely do better than Bill Nye the Science Guy? Yeah, it, I, it gets my attention. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's just bizarre, man. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if part of it's because science. I mean, you know, that's it's like science is always fun or oftentimes fun. Uh, it should but, be. but you don't oftentimes hear people talk invoking words like empathy and kindness when they're yeah. teaching about science, but you do. And that gives it a really interesting angle, too. Nobody likes to be lectured, right? Mm. Like, do you like to be told what to do? Do you like to be told what to, to Not think? often. Exactly. But if you can put yourself in somebody else's shoes, and dogs are so good at that, right? They're in tune with our emotions. If you own a pet like a cat or a dog, cat to maybe a little bit lesser degree, dogs, they're in tune with us. And if you can teach through that lens of, you know, this is good information, this is science, it's, o- it's okay maybe if you don't agree, you never want to shame people who don't know something. You want to say this is good information and the hook is a cute, you know, a cute photo of a dog or a video or, you know, the dog's doing something science-related the engagement is vastly superior to a wall of text. Yeah, no right? kidding. Like, who's going to read that? I'm not going to read that, and I love science. Somebody puts a picture there. Somebody puts a video there. You know, it's way the voice, like us talking, the, the human voice connects way more than a wall of text. So do I understand correctly that you reached out to Health Canada at some point uh, through this pandemic offering to assist in, yes. What was it? Multiple like in, times in, in COVID messaging and public health messaging using the dogs and and yeah, I was like, I was like, uh, whatever Health Canada had, they were getting on Twitter like two likes. Yeah, you know, three likes, and I was like, we could help, right? We have this massive account with enormous engagement. I want to help. Um, I'm a scientist. I'm hooked up with all of these amazing scientists, science communicators. You've had Timothy Caulfield on your show multiple times. The guy's amazing. Just recently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, we could do the communication for you in a different type of way to get the message out. What would you in have a done? Way, like, did you, in a did, way that's... Did you yeah. cook up an example? Yeah. I was like, just talking about what science is or what a vaccine is. Like, do you think the average person understands science, Ryan? Like, what is science? I don't think so. Science is a series of experimentation, an exper- a series of tests, debates, where a consensus is reached that can change. A lot of people think science flip-flops, and it doesn't. It just learns something new. And I don't think the average person gets that about science. Like, I teach that in my classes, right? Good science teachers teach the scientific process, but also how science can change. But I don't think the average person does. That would be where I would start. Like, this is what science is. And then I would get into what a vaccine is. Because the amount of misinformation around vaccines, as you know, was rampant. And it was easily disproved. But if you disprove misinformation in a heavy-handed way, you turn people off. And that's where I thought Bunsen and Beaker could help. Um, Messaging, perhaps. Right? Like, (laughs) I wonder if it would have worked. Because everything was so... I mean, I know I'm stating the obvious here, but the, the COVID conversation went from we're all in this together to people picking sides and camps and just fighting, yeah. you know, and there was there was something that happened. And, and I think that people still are scarred uh, oh, yeah. because of it. I mean, I think all of us are impacted by COVID in a way that yeah. most of us probably don't realize. 
Um, and for many people, it's manifesting itself in different ways. But I think part of that is this polarized nature, you know, yeah. and, I, and I wonder if the pups could have combated that in a way. Well, you have to, my my like we do we do when we talk about vaccines. Oh, we get blowback on Twitter, and I've grown a really thick skin to it. Um, but like, there's that's a small percentage of people who will never listen or never agree with or get on board with any kind of science messaging. Right there, there's flat earthers, for example. Um, no matter no matter of Bunsen and Beaker explaining the world is round is going to convince them. Um, but what we can hit is the people that are confused, the people that are dealing with a lot of misinformation. They want to do the right thing. They want to understand. And they just are not connecting with somebody, ta- a politician or a, a really poor speaker from the government. Right. Do, do you, what are the th- what is the least trusted person the profession in the in North America? Do you know, Ryan? I, I what do you think it is? The least uh, trusted profession. Well, I mean, I I just know that I see that some are are losing public trust. I see that journalism is losing the public trust. Politicians are losing the public trust. Yeah, um, I mean, but, it's, but this is this is across twenty years. It's politicians and lawyers. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lawyer politician talking to your public, you're already lost a whole bunch of people. The people that are the most trusted by the public are nurses doctors and teachers mm. so well maybe dogs maybe dogs should be up there yeah but you also look at who was targeted the most through covid nurses doctors and teachers right when it's yeah. messed up it's a little it's a little bit but a lot of us chose this profession to give back and yeah. that's i do that every day i'm i'm so excited I, I skip out of bed to teach kids like i can't wait to get to school how did we get you, by the way, today on a school day? Is this like a PD day for I have, you? Or? I have a prep and until uh, quarter two, and then at 10 o'clock, we have flex. Okay, so you, you have got, a you, you have me a few for more minutes, minutes. We can keep you. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, I just... I Unless really, you want kids in the back. I mean, I could give everybody a lesson about... Why you know, not? vectors and uh, equilibrium and chemistry. Well, no, we would we so. would probably all <laughs> learn something, I'm sure, by listening to you talk. It might not be a bad idea. You're going to be uh, you're I mean, you're it's amazing what you're doing. And people obviously are, are paying attention, whether or not Health Canada did. And, and who knows why they wouldn't have. It seems to me to be a real missed opportunity, although I'm sure they were also had a few things going on. But um, they were busy. I, I know that you're going to yes. be speaking at the Telus World of Science coming up uh, here in Edmonton in November, uh, yeah. including a meet and greet for Bunsen and Beaker for the two pups. Um, yeah. And you're going to be speaking at a science communication workshop in Calgary next year for the University of Calgary. People are obviously paying attention. You just spoke as well to the Vancouver School Board, didn't you? Yeah. So I, I do give presentations about engaging kids in science, right? So like I'm obviously the, the, the puppeteer of Bunsen and Beaker, the, you know, I'm the voice behind the scenes. Um, but I do have a career in as an as a de- educator and um, I do bombastic experiments with my students like yesterday we exploded pumpkins pumpkins like i blew them to smithereens which was really exciting so i do that as a form of science communication like if you want to engage kids um they need to be doing science science is about doing not about listening so how you can do little labs and experiments and demos that's what i presented to vancouver and i i think just because of how big bunsen and beaker have grown People are they are taking notice, which is wild. They're like, we need you to come talk about science communication. And, you know, four or five years ago, I I never would have thought of myself as a science communicator. They're like, (laughs) um, they're like, we need you to come explain how to do it. And I was like, well, 
I'll try, like get a couple cute dogs and teach them how to wear lab coats, I guess. Hey, but how do you, so how did that start? I mean, I know we covered this a little bit last time you were on the show, but that yeah. was months and months ago. Like at, at, at one point you had, I, I think it was, it was just Bunsen, right? It was Bunsen, yeah. the burner, Bunsen burner, your, your dog, the most, one of the most clever dog names of all time. And you would have started, you would have seen if the Twitter handle was available and it was, and you got it and you would have started and maybe you were your first follower or maybe your friend. But at one point you had <laughs> zero followers or one or 10 or a hundred or a thousand. I remember getting over the thousand follower mark was a big one. Um, at that point, did you envision an account like closing it no. at 200,000? No, like we, I've mentioned this before. If you've ever seen a Bernice mountain dog puppy, they are, they will melt your health, your, your heart. Like Beautiful. you'll just start yeah, I'm a grown man. I cried <laughs> when we went to look at the bird. Like I just, I couldn't contain my tears. They were that cute. And like, we just started an account to post photos of him as a, a little puppy and they grow fast and they're big dogs. Like they're huge dogs. Right? Yeah. Like he's a bear. And he, I was like, he's as big as me. He could wear my lab coat. So I put my lab coat on him and burners are very people pleasing and very calm. So he just sat there with the lab coat on and I took some photos of him and it went viral. And then after that point, I was like, well, what if I tweeted out something about science? And then it changed to what if I gave people the perspective of science through the eyes of Bunsen? And it started to snowball after that. Amazing. And now, and now you've got him dressed up like Bob Ross. Uh, dog no, Ross, actually. Dog Ross, naming. We don't make mistakes, just happy accidents. Uh, I love it. How is your how what being back in the classroom now? Um, it's it's obviously COVID interrupted mm. sort of the education process. Uh, oh yeah, teachers. I can't. You know, I'm the son of a teacher, and I can't. Uh, I just can't applaud lot more loudly enough. Um, we pick up our little guy from school. We see some of the teachers are still wearing masks. Some of the students are still wearing masks. Some of the uh, students, I'm sure, are, are just absolutely thrilled to be there. Some perhaps parents sending their kids there with trepidation. Everybody's coming at it from their own angle. We're not out yeah. of the woods yet. There, there's talk about in Ontario, their chief medical officer of health says that you know they're they're preparing for a COVID winter. Alberta's premier is saying no more masks in schools, no matter what, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what's the dynamic and, and approach this answer? However you like. I mean, our are, are kids more curious about science since they've come back is there more energy in the classroom what's it what's it like for you now a couple of months into to this school year well I'll, I'll speak for myself but for many teachers teaching online during covid was horrific mm. it was really bad for the vast majority of kids um parents had to work some of them so they were leaving their high school kids home alone to try their best um, so we have gaps in knowledge that we're dealing with as high school teachers in math, science, language arts, um, just that kind of stuff. So to have kids back face to face is a big deal. It's huge. It's great for learning. It's really tough to tell kids, um, hey, let's get excited about science. And then they watch me do a thing rather than be there to do the thing. Yeah. Um, there's only so much YouTube that the average kid can handle. And then you get sick of Grammarly ads. Like eventually you're just, <laughs> yeah. just all done with it. Um, so I, I do, kids are still wearing masks. Some of them, my son is in grade 12. He occasionally will wear a mask. Um, I have to project my voice. So when I'm teaching, it's my, when there were times where I had to wear a mask and that was really tough. 
I, I think, can you imagine doing your whole radio show wearing a mask, Ryan? Like it would be rough, right? No, I did. I mean, I hosted some events uh, yeah. wearing masks and things like that. And it's just uh, like it's it's doable, it's, but, but it's, it is uncomfortable yeah. in, in the sense that and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a whatever. I mean, I fill your boots. If people still want to wear masks, that's great. Yeah. Thumbs up to them. I've got absolutely. Why would I have a problem with it? it's their decision? They can do whatever they want. And we encourage mask wearing through it. I'm not coming across, you know, woe is me. Mm-hmm. But I will say, like, especially in a in like a hosting or communicating or projecting type scenario, it was quite difficult. And it felt like when we were through it, you know, we'd get those first couple of shots, those first couple of vaccines, and then people started to kind of ease up on that. You you, you yeah. remembered what it what it had been like before. And I'm grateful to be back. But I do see, I mean, it's just even even just the other day at one of our little guys' extracurricular activities, and, and one of the kids was having a, a bit of an issue, a bit of a younger kid. And I was talking to his mom about it, and, and you know, she just said, like, he, you know, it's just we just feel we're, we're trying to get him integrated. Like, he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's a COVID toddler. Like, he hadn't, you know, he hasn't, hasn't had a lot of interaction. He hasn't been around a lot of other kids. And this is kind of one of their first activities out. And there's going to be a million examples of that, of, of, of how yeah. the pandemic affected people from from you know uh, toddlers all the way up to, to people in their 80s and 90s and, and we see it all the time yeah my heart goes out to the kids that were affected the most ones without a support network network to help them through whatever they were trying to learn at home so i like our our high school lindsey thurber we are working over time to help all of the kids get caught up running stuff at lunch running stuff during our flex session um and how can you not like i'm a teacher i want kids to learn i want kids to to, to get better. Um, their math skills are iffy in places. So I'm teaching rudimentary math skills, Yeah, but that's what you do. That's what you have to do. Yeah. Um, I know, I recognize this is uh, dangerous ground that we're going to tread on. Uh, but, but I'm, there's going to be a lot of people that have these pumpkins, these jack-o'-lanterns left over. Um, uh, I don't know if a carved pumpkin loses its integrity and, and integrity that's required for proper explosion. And I don't know if you re- want to be instructing us on how to <laughs> how to how to really blow up pumpkins um, without some sort of fine print or small print absolving us of all responsibility here in case everything goes sideways. But but for people that may be looking to have a little fun uh, with the leftover organic matter that is still currently shaped like a pumpkin sitting on their front steps, are there any tips you can give us? Uh, that you provided to your students a couple of days ago when you were blowing these things sky high? <laughs> well, I don't think I'm going to tell the general public how to blow up pumpkins. I figured as much. You need to be a trained idiot like me okay. to do that. Okay, all right. Um, gonna- but you can take, this is an easy thing you can do at home. It's a lot of fun. You get um, some hydrogen peroxide and you get some yeast. And when you pour the yeast, like make up a yeast solution, and you pour the yeast into the hydrogen peroxide, it will bubble and foam. And you can have the foam kind of bleh, puke out of the the pumpkin's mouth, and nobody and gets it, hurt. And yeah, and it's pretty safe. If you can get a little bit stronger hydrogen peroxide, like maybe from a hairdresser, you'll get a little bit more foam. Okay. Um, the stuff that high schools have, of course, it's explosive. Yes. And again, you kind of you need to give Canada your passport. We'll just say to get okay. Hands on that okay, stuff. so we'll, we'll we'll steer people away <laughs> from that. Uh, but but they can probably uh, tune in to like future science podcasts and future Twitter spaces and everything else you're doing to, to get more tips on this. I appreciate you letting us know that it's quote pretty safe, which is good. Anything that's pretty safe is good. I love that. Well, again, I'm, I'm all for kids experimenting. And when you experiment, you're going to break stuff. You're going to make messes. You're going to cut yourself. You're going to burn yourself. But if you never risk anything, you may not get the education. 
There you go. That's uh, Jason Zakowski. Um, you run two live shows a week on Twitter, uh, which yep. is super cool, by the way. This is like, I don't know what's what's next or current, or is this the next phase of what do you call it? Like social audio, basically. Yeah, it's called it's called social audio. Yeah, so we run SciChat on Tuesdays at seven PM our time. Yeah, um, and I interview scientists, and our account is so huge they come to us. Yeah, which is very cool. Um, and then on Saturday we have a really fun. It's just for pet lovers. My wife and I host a show, and we play games, and people talk about their pets. And then I'm also the host of a, something called the Conversationalists which is other people like me in the social audio sphere. And we do that on Saturday mornings. When do you sleep? When do you hang out? When do you mow your lawn? When do you do the other well, stuff? We go, we're looking at getting goats. I, I, was, just a lot gonna, of caffeine. I was literally just going to say, you probably have goats. <laughs> <laughs> People can follow you on Twitter at Zed Science. They can yep. follow your podcast at Science Podcast. That's PAW with a P-A-W. And of yep. course, the big account, the one that does the heavy lifting, uh, Bunsen Burner BMD on Twitter. And of course, you can find these guys on, on Instagram. And you're on TikTok too, right? You betcha. That's, that's where I'm struggling the most is just trying to be everywhere all at the same time. It's it's, un- it, it's unethical, but I think I need to get cloned soon. Yeah, or you could just contract <laughs> it out, but then maybe it loses yeah. its magic. Then it's not you, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Jay, it's great to see your face again, my man. Thanks for giving us some of your, your downtime at school. I know that that's really valuable uh, for somebody that's involved as you are, but I know that uh, this interview is going to light a fire under a lot of people in the best way and, and, and maybe rekindle a love for science or a curiosity, speaking to young people and people at advanced ages as well that we recognize we still have a lot to learn, and we're grateful for guests like you. Thank you. Science rules. Science rules indeed. There you have it. Uh, Great stuff from Jason Zakowski, a good friend of this show. Be sure to give him a follow. And uh, of course, let us know what you think about what you just heard. Um, Wow. Okay. The next age, the next era of teaching. How lucky are we to have people like that? Super excited about it. He's he's got innovation uh, across the board, right? This social audio that he's doing these Twitter spaces that he hosts, the way that he's leveraging social media channels. It seems to be a, a perfect time uh, to shine the spotlight on, on further innovation, on the result of inventors identifying a problem and then doing something about it. Every Tuesday, we celebrate innovation and difference makers thanks to our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy. We call it the Leading Edge. And in the spotlight this week, how cool is this? Have you heard about the Mobility this is the Mobility Tech. Uh, it's made right here in our home province of Alberta, and it's helping teach cancer and stroke patients how to swallow again. You're going, well, I wouldn't have even thought about that. I wouldn't even realize that's an issue. Well, it is. It's a, it's a medical condition called dysphagia. Uh, it's a swallowing disorder that occurs as a side effect of, of cancer and, and, and stroke impact. So every meal that a patient sits down to can, can be, quite frankly, a fear-generating event because they're choking on their food. Uh, and, and, of course, it's risky, right? If the food gets into their lungs, they could end up with a, a serious consequence like pneumonia. And so as part of therapy treatments, patients are taught to do exercises for their swallowing muscles. Uh, but the problem is that these machines are really big, and oftentimes they're only available in clinics, right? Well, enter the mobility. It's a super cool invention. It's really tiny. As you can see, uh, it just goes right there on your throat, just sort of right under your jawline there. And, and patients are taught to do exercises for their swallowing muscles. You work with it on an app on your phone by yourself. 
right? And and the wireless device, it allows people to have a direct connection to a speech language pathologist. This is next level stuff. What does it mean? Well, less hospitalization, fewer hospital visits. It's digital health provided to people enabled by technology. Now, currently, Mobility, though it's developed here in our home province, it's selling only in the U.S., but the team behind it is working on getting approval from Health Canada. Mobility is identifying a very real challenge for cancer and stroke patients, and it's taking their fear away. It's teaching people to get their lives back. And for that reason, it's in the spotlight this week on The Leading Edge, presented by Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we are very excited to spend some time with Trevor Anderson, the renowned Canadian filmmaker, and his writing partner, Fish Grakowski. Their film, Before I Change My Mind, is going to be opening the Rainbow Visions Film Festival in just a couple of days. They're going to join us live in studio to talk about this coming-of-age drama based on Trevor's upbringing based on his own personal experience the writing duo and the director of before i change my mind in studio right here at real talk tomorrow we'll see you then real talk is hosted by ryan jesperson executive producer josh dunford technical producer john hicks general manager katie cook chivers Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.